Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 30 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today I have the privilege to speak with Tatum's mom. Tatum was 13 months old when he died early Christmas morning this past year. He spent many of those 13 months in the hospital awaiting a liver transplant that would never come. His mother, Liz, talks about this journey that they had, the many hospitalizations and the wait. She talks about having to work remotely from the hospital as she was caring for Tatum and how this current pandemic and having to work from home once again is bringing back all of those memories. Liz is very early on in her grief journey, and I know that so many of you understand exactly what she is going through now and where she is now. I hope you can appreciate listening to Liz and Tatum's story. I just want to thank you, Liz, for coming in and agreeing to join me today um, and talk to us about your son Tatum and your grief journey. So if you want to just go ahead and tell us a little bit about Tatum. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for having me today and letting me tell you a little bit about our sweet Tatum. Um, So yeah, I guess I'll start with um, Tatum was our second child. He was our second son. Um, and he was our rainbow baby. At the time we found out we were pregnant with him, um, we had had two miscarriages in the two years prior to that. And so we had a seven-year-old son. And um, after kind of giving up, we we found out we were pregnant. So time kind of moved on. And the pregnancy, you know, after that 12-week point, we, we felt pretty good. And we knew this was going to happen. We we're going to expand our family um, as mm-hmm. we wanted. So we told our son. Um, our oldest, his name's Blaine, we told him in, in a really sweet little video and um, got him a shirt that said Big Brother. And it was just amazing. He was so excited. It was like he waited his whole life to be promoted. <laughs> yeah. So we were, yeah, it was just super awesome. And so, you know, life went on. The pregnancy was, was normal, you know, and I think what they call a, you know, a, maybe a mature mother had children later in life. So we did the proper you know, testing and ultrasounds and everything was, was great. And um, my first child was a C-section. So Tatum was planned to come uh, at 39 weeks. His uh, birthday was chosen of November 7th, kind of a cold, cold day. And we, uh, we went in and around 930 in the morning, he came, came into the world and he was healthy. He was eight pounds, uh, 11 or so ounces. And, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was a big baby. My first was nine pounds. So, um, so just a, it, it was a great experience. Just you know, second time around for us, and it took us so long to get there. And so we just were so enamored in the experience and just the joy. And we brought Blaine to meet his baby brother that afternoon. Took pictures. Um, we just have some of the most incredible memories of them, the meeting, and just you could see how proud he was, and and just how excited we were to be a family of four. So yeah, everything went really well. I recovered really well. So that typical like three-day hospital stay by Friday, you know, um, he was doing good. You know, I was doing good. And they said, you know, go ahead and leave. So we left and um, we picked Blaine up from school. He didn't know that we were going to get out of the hospital and picked him up with baby brother. We paid him in tow and how oh, he was just so excited and came home. And, you know, life was just, it was beautiful. Um, he, he was an awesome baby. Um, second time around, he, he just slept. Um, he nursed really well, you know, things went well. We went to our follow-up appointment 
his weight kind of declined a little bit in the beginning. Um, he lost about a pound in those first two weeks. So the doctor wasn't super concerned, um, but he was, you know, nursing. So we decided to go for weight checks for about three weeks or so. By the end of that, he really did well and, and there was no reason to, to question anything. So, so yeah, life moved on. We just had so many people around us that were visiting and were, you know, holding him and seeing him and, you know, just excited to have him in our family and noticed, I don't know, around probably six weeks that maybe he, he looked like he was gaining weight, but just in his belly. Mm -hmm. He, uh, you know, his arms were a little thin. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But he, he looked really long and it just was like, oh, he's just going to have a different build. Um, my first son was just, you know, he couldn't eat enough and he just was really chubby. So not, not really any concern. You know, his skin color maybe was a little, um, we thought maybe he was a little jaundiced. And the doctor had said, oh, well, you know, that's just, you know, working its way out with, with the breastfeeding, nothing, you know, concerning. Um, and so as time moved on, I mean, no, you know, nobody around me or myself, we weren't concerned about his coloring. But at his two-month checkup, um, I just thought, well, I want to ask a little bit about just his weight and, you know, his overall growth. When the doctor walked in, he said, oh, man, you know, I think he looks pretty jaundiced. And so I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Um, you know, just kind of like that pit in your stomach, being a second time mom, I just vowed to myself, I'm not going to be that worry wart, you know, there were just little things I was like, Oh, no, I think he's okay. Um, and so, you know, we just, we just continued to enjoy him and not focus on that. And when he walked in, that just kind of like, my heart, you know, went in my stomach and I'm like, Oh, oh my. Um, so they did blood work. And uh, we live in a small town here in Iowa, and so it's pretty typical that our local doctors will consult with the, the local university that's about an hour away, and so I got a call. That's that why afternoon. I did my training. <laughs> yeah, Just have yeah. to give a exactly. shout out to the University yeah. of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, yeah. right? Where yeah. I did all the my training, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People will know, know it by the hospital that does that awesome wave, so. Yes. Um that that children's hospital did not exist when I did my training, I have to say. I did not get to do oh. the beautiful wave, but that was built after I was done. But still. Yeah. Still, yeah, my Andy was born in an OB in a labor room that overlooked the football field. So oh, right cool. after he was born, Eric brought him up to the window and showed him the football field because you could actually watch a game from there because it was high wow. enough up. And we told him he was a Hawkeye fan for life. And he was. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's awesome. So anyway, I'm sorry. That's yeah. a total aside. But if you said University no, of Iowa, I, I, had that. To, I had to throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my niece was born. She was supposed to be born uh, two weeks before Tatum. She was premature. Uh, so she was born in August. And she was born in that probably that same wing. Um, so, yeah. So, so the doctor called about one o'clock and said, Hey, you know, I've got these initial results. I've already talked to the university. Um, I need you to come back to the lab because we need, we need a more extensive panel. Um, there's some concerns we have with Tatum's liver numbers, his liver. So, you know, panic sets in. So, you know, we took him out there and that was around two in the afternoon. Um, by 4.30, um, we were already in touch with the doctors at the University of Iowa, the, G, um, the GI, um, gastro doctors. Medical records had already been prepared, and we stopped by and got those at our doctor. And we, we were scheduled to go ahead and have an ultrasound first thing Friday morning with Tatum to take a look at what was going on with him and his liver. And my husband and I were just at a loss. And, you know, curiosity, of course, is is what gets to you so you, we get these medical records we're looking at these numbers and we're going online and we're just panicking because we just don't understand you know what could be going on with him and so that was it was hard um mm -hmm. but we you know we were we had every every bit of confidence that we were going to go up and get answers and so we uh, we went the next morning and we went and had an ultrasound and sitting there and they just so it's difficult they they do that and they don't really say much and then um, we went into the the room and were greeted by the, the gastro doctor. And she said, well, based on kind of that initial um, ultrasound, it could be it could be four different things. It could be uh, some infection in his liver. Um, it could just be that he, you know, he's got a clogged bile duct. It could be biliary atresia, uh, really rare liver disease. 
And if it is, it could be kind of, I can't even remember what she used the term, but it could be one form or it could be a syndromic form. Then we just kind of, you know, shocked and I'm pacing the room and I'm just, you know, looking at my two month old baby and panicking and um, thinking the worst and she's trying to calm me down. And then results continue to come in, you know, looking at the labs and they identified him as having uh, two spleens. So that was another indicator of something more severe. And so then the surgical team came in and just con confirmed you know, our every fear that our child was born with uh, biliary atresia. Um, it's a really rare liver disease. Um, it affects one in every 10 to 20,000 children in the U.S. It's just winning the lottery, so to say, you know, they're born and their liver starts to fail shortly after birth, signs or weight loss, jaundice. I mean, it's very, very hard to detect. There's been a lot of mothers that I've connected with and they took their doctor or their babies to the doctor three, four, five times and still didn't get a diagnosis. So yeah, we, we got this diagnosis on a Friday within hours of, of being in the office and the surgeon said that um, we would need to come back on Monday and they would do a surgery on Tatum to to try to help sustain his liver um, the best they could. They do what's called a Kasai, and it's a procedure where they, they go in and they connect the small intestine directly to the liver to basically force force it to drain that bile and that, you know, that those toxins that aren't normally being done, you know, because the liver's not functioning properly. So they told us, you know, that that was what they can do right away. But even if they did, there was pretty, pretty small odds that it would work. It was like a 50% chance that it would help him, you know, kind of get through to age two, age three. There's just, there were so many unknowns, but it was the only thing we could do to you know, try to help sustain and, you know, give him. Right. Because at the time, health. his his bile was all backed up in his liver. So what they're trying to do is cut that open and then be able to release that bile just directly into the small intestine. And so I just thought mm -hmm. I'd just explain that a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's great. So we got through that day and he had his surgery and it was the longest day ever, as you can imagine, our two-month-old baby back there, just not knowing. But he he was so healthy otherwise, so he did really well, and they were they were hopeful, um, but they were also very honest in the fact that, you know, they could see his liver, obviously, and they did a biopsy, and the fibrosis was already pretty severe at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we, we kind of held on to that, but we also didn't we didn't really dwell on that because, you know, we needed to have that mindset to really fight for him and, and kind of be hopeful that it was going to help. And it did. He did so well. We were within three days. He had green poop, which is, you know, what you pray for with, <laughs> with uh, this, this, and, you know, he was out of the hospital within five days. Wow. So, you know, he, wow. yeah, he was just like the perfect patient, you know, recovery, um, like me, and we do really well. And, little pain, you know, really, he was a trooper. But then of course, when they go in and they, they tell you that when they go in and they, they mess around with your intestines like that, it can stir up and you're at risk for cholangitis infection. They're basically connecting, you know, all that bacteria that's in your bowels and you're kind of moving their organs around and connecting things. And so there's just risk that they have to watch out for, for infection. And with him having um, multiple spleens, they considered him immune compromised. And so any, any temperature of 100.4 or higher was considered risky for him. So we just, we were sent home with medications and, and plans to get him to bulk up and um, watching for fevers. And within 24 hours of being home, he spiked 103 fever. So we, we went right back in <laughs> and um, he had cholangitis, so everything kind of stirred up. And so we got through that and they gave him the, the medicine. And, and then the next, um, that, was, that was in the course of the month of January. So then February through um, April, I would say were probably the three best months we had of his 13 month life. You know, I got to that yet, but he was 13 months when we lost him. He spent nine of those months in the hospital, in and out. Those three months were just, you know, they were fantastic. His color came back. He gained weight. He he started to sit up and to crawl. 
and a rollover. And I just, we just watched the videos and he was just, just so happy. And just kind of at the middle to end of April, just, just like with the snap of our fingers, we were at a baseball game and we, we looked at him and his eye was yellow. And my husband and I just both looked at each other and we're like, oh my gosh. And we immediately called and we went out and got labbed. And um, by this point, it's kind of skipping around. His bilirubin got to zero. I think it only took around five weeks, um, which was pretty phenomenal. Um, Yeah. Because it started at 17. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty high. Um, So, you know, then when we went and had the labs here locally and um, the doctor called and she was like, okay, so I need you to come up here right away. This the morning we got the labs in the morning. She wanted us to come up, pack our bags. She said, you know, his bilirubin's at a seven. Yeah. And it should be around a one or less. Yeah. Less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, that heart just drops in your stomach and you're just, you know, we were in the hospital. That was at the end of April, the beginning of May. We were in the hospital for two and a half weeks. Um, they were trying to figure out what was going on with him. They just, they could not figure it out because, you know, everything had went well, you know, it was just puzzling, you know, this is typical, you know, the biliary treating, you know, if it, there can be kind of a, a few months when they do the Kasai, it can really look really well. And then it doesn't really truly mean that it's been a success um, is what we kind of found out. So they just did anything and everything to try to understand and um, finally just made the decision to go in and look. And when they did that, they, they saw his intestines had kind of kinked up. So there was kind of some bile under, you know, behind the liver still kind of collecting. So they thought maybe that was part of it. But when they went in, they were able to see that his liver had continued and progressively was worse um, as far as the fibrosis. So they went ahead and, and did another biopsy, compared the biopsy from January and then to, to May and came in and told us that, you know, our, our six-month-old baby was going to need to have a liver transplant. Yeah. Yeah, that was, was, yeah, it was scary, but we pushed through. They don't, they don't do those transplants here in Iowa, um, but we talked to our surgeon that we've been dealing with. We had an incredible relationship and respected everything he had done, and he gave us a few options, you know, Omaha, Chicago. Um, and we went with Chicago. We felt really good about, we've been there quite a bit, traveled and just felt good about, you know, that commute because we knew that'd be part of it. And so um, in July, we went over and Tatum had an evaluation and he was listed for transplant uh, July 18th officially. And his score was pretty low at that time. It was around 17 and uh, he was, he was pretty stable. He was starting to really, really lose all that weight he had, he had gained. He was getting really thin. Um, but we felt really confident about being in good hands with the, the hospital there in Chicago. And it was just difficult, the kind of two and a half hour commute that we had. But we were in touch with them and we made you know, appointments and we, we saw them a few months. And then um, the beginning of September, he started to get sick. He got a fever pretty regularly, like that first uh, weekend, Labor Day, actually. Uh, he had like 103 fever again. So we, we took him up to the university here started to get kind of tricky because the doctors here and then the doctors in Chicago, it was really hard for us to stay all on the same page and to have a good plan. And so husband and I talked and we just really felt it was best that we go to Chicago with him. Um, and we needed to be, be there because we didn't want to com- compromise anything with this transplant. So actually flew us over, me and Tatum. And so we took our airplane ride over, got into the hospital there. And uh, it was the first week of September, we got there on my husband and I's 16th wedding anniversary. <laughs> um, and I remember that day. And we just, we then we were, that was our second home there at the hospital. Um, and the city of Chicago was our second home until uh, December. So they, they did everything they could. He was listed. Um, and, you know, in October, his number was raised. Um, he started feeding tube um, to help his nutrition because as he continued to get sicker, um, he didn't want to eat. His labs looked really good. Um, that was always the puzzling thing. Um, he, you know, he looked really good. You know, his bilirubin could get as low as like a five, um, but then it could jump to like a 12. So it kind of fluctuated. But, you know, things like, you know, his clotting factor, which the liver controls how your body, you know, how your, all your blood you know, cloth mm-hmm. could probably explain it better than me. 
but you know, you just, it's amazing all the things you learn. So progressively as you are in liver failure, you start to seep blood, just that clotting factor. And so we, if we weren't dealing with a fever, we were dealing with, okay, there's something wrong with him. We would go get blood work and we'd find out his hemoglobin was like at a six Mm -hmm. where I, you know, ideally I think above 10, 12 is is better. So, um, so yeah, we were at one point we were kind of commuting back and forth every week to the hospital. And then, like I said, we just pretty much decided to make it our home and I worked remotely and things went, went really well. We were so hopeful. We made, we had every confidence in the, in the transplant system and he was listed at, at a 20 and then he was listed as at a 30. I mean, they were doing everything they could to get him point. He turned one on November 7th. At that point, he had been um, given a central line in his arm. I think that's what they call it. Basically, mm-hmm. we started to feed him um, through veins. Yeah. So he, he was given TPN and lipids. So we started that right right before his first birthday, and he was able to get out of the hospital on the 8th. And he just did so well the whole month of November. Um, he gained weight. He was fat. He was just like a completely different baby. He was able to sit up again. And uh, yeah, so we had just some really good times in the month of November and the beginning of December. Um, but we just continued to wait and, you know, we'd just be checking our phones and waiting for that um, call. We didn't, we didn't, waiting for that. Yeah. The transplant, I mean, I'll tell you, they just wait and wait, a lot of waiting to, to get the call. Um, he was not a candidate for living donation. I know a lot of people had reached out to us and offered their liver or asked, and I would have done that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the way his anatomy was, you know, his liver, it wasn't functioning correctly and it wasn't formed right. Um, they needed too much yeah. of a living donor. Yeah. And so you know, have to be able to, to have, have that biliary system that you need everything, not just a little lobe of it. Yeah. So that was, um, well, it's hard for people to understand, but we, yeah, we just had a village and everybody was just so hopeful and um, he did really well. He stayed out of the hospital for an entire month other than just random, you know, pulling his, his central line out of his arm, <laughs> which who'd have thought, <laughs> just random things. <laughs> he amazed us. So just little things like that and checkups. And then I decided to, to kind of start going back and forth and working a few days in my office. So I went, I left on a Sunday and came to have some time in the office back in Iowa. And uh, he was back in the hospital on Monday. He just started to kind of gag. He seemed like he was itching really bad. Mm-hmm. Then it seemed like he was having trouble breathing. So he was um, and of course, then he had a fever. It was hard to know with him if it was infection, if it was the liver, um, just because he would get these fevers. But then sure enough, his labs would look pretty good. You know, his bilirubin, I think that week um, of in December was maybe around around a 10. Again, it wasn't high, nine or a 10. So my uh, son and I, we went for a visit then that Friday and he was still in the hospital and pretty miserable. It was hard. He had the oxygen on which is hard with a, with a one-year-old, but, you know, we taped it on there. And Saturday evening, we were all just sitting there in the room, and um, he just, he couldn't breathe. It, I don't know, it was scary. Our, our older son was there, and we had him, we had him leave, and the ICU team came up because we were just on the general, general GI floor, and they took him down, and it was just like, couldn't hardly, you know, everything just kind of flashes, and they had to intubate, and he was put on a ventilator, his, I think his his body was just failing. It was one last push. He was listed as critical. Uh, he was open to all blood types. And he just he couldn't hold on any longer. Yeah. Um, so you know, Christmas Eve, we were taking turns because Blaine was with us, our son, and we were at the Ronald McDonald House and, um, and at the hospital taking shifts. And I was spending time and getting ready to kind of leave so we could go to church um, and kind of do some sense of normal on Christmas Eve. And one of the doctors just kind of grabbed me and was like, you know, you need to start making some decisions here on what else we want to do for him. And I just kind of floored me. Like I it just came out of the, out of the clear blue sky um, to you. Right. So I, I remember calling the GI doctor because it was difficult. We had the GI team, we had the ICU team, we had the transplant team. There were just so many people involved. And I just called him. I was like, you have to tell me, like, do I need to lose? Am I losing hope? Like, is this, the, you know, I don't understand. And, you know, he kind of disagreed and was like, well, no, I don't think, you know, because, you know, from a medical standpoint, I mean, they look at the numbers and his body wasn't 
throwing the numbers up that led anybody to believe that he was completely failing yeah. and you know that's why science is hard sometimes and he was tired and he just he couldn't hold on any longer and so um my husband and I we said our goodbyes um we kind of all just Blaine and I went to church you know we needed that Brian stayed there with him and we talked and said our goodbyes and I went back to the hotel I had all my clothes ready and um, he called me about 1 30 and said that it was time to um to let him go yeah yeah it was Christmas Christmas day December 25th yeah and it was the hardest thing I ever had I've ever had to do yeah Uh, I was there when you know he took those first breaths I was there when he took those last yep yes I know there's nothing harder there is nothing harder. So I, it just is all, it just, it's a blur. Um, yeah. You know, I held him um, while he was still on the ventilator and, and we just, we had those moments to be there with him and it was peaceful. And so I'm just grateful for that. He was ready. even though we weren't. No. And, um, no. and then it was, um, my family came over. You know, it was it was Christmas. It didn't feel like that. We did our best um, because of you know, our older son and to try to try to do what we could. And then we had we had some beautiful moments. They cleaned uh, cleaned him all up. They had him in Christmas pajamas, and we were able to go back to the hospital as a family and just you know be there with him. Mm-hmm. We had him for four hundred and thirteen days. Yeah, and this was just this past Christmas, right? Yeah. Yep. December twenty fourth, two thousand nineteen. Yep. So pretty real. It's only been about three months. And... Yeah, it's the hardest three months you've ever experienced. I know. It's funny how you. Th- yeah. I've talked to a lot of moms that have gone through this. That's um, when it's longer like this. When it's a longer death, and they just slowly, slowly get worse. It's funny that you just kind of keep thinking that it just will keep going, right? I mean, I know you were caught off guard, you said, hours before he died, not thinking that this was it, right? Yeah. He'd been through so much and you just start getting into your routine of being at the hospital and getting the labs and going through all of the hoops and he just kept hanging in there and it's hard to believe that that is going to come to an end I think you know yeah well just be yeah and you know my husband you know obviously stages of grief you know he's angry I don't think he's angry at anyone or or anything but it's just that anger that we just were so hopeful and the doctors were so convincing that it was, that's just what he, he needs to deliver and he's going to get one. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was just no doubt. Yeah. And, um, we just, we don't understand, you know, why he didn't get one. And he was a, his blood type was a B positive. Mm-hmm. That's pretty rare. Um, they couldn't open him up in, in the month of October, November, they wanted to open him up to all blood types at that time, and they couldn't because he had titers coming back on his blood work that he was going to reject a liver ah. of any other blood type, which, of course, we don't want to risk that. Yeah. So that wasn't in our favor. And, you know, just the system, I can remember holding him, and the doctors were in there, and they just said it's just not fair. Yeah. And yeah, it isn't. Well, and I think we as doctors feel like we – we always need to give patients hope, which we do. And I think we do it for ourselves too, right? I mean, we don't want to think, especially as pediatricians, you don't want to think as your, of your patients dying. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to have that happen. And you just feel like kids get better. I mean, that that's a reason why you go into pediatrics. It's the reason I why I tell people I go into pediatrics because – in general, kids get better. He didn't become an internist taking care of 
85, 90-year-old people. I became a pediatrician because that's the type of person I am. And I, <laughs> you know, we like taking care of people who will get better and are in general healthier. So I think we don't do as good of a job as some physicians of adults maybe or no I know what you mean Uh, kids are so resilient and yeah and I think too I mean they just you know I can remember when so we you know that last week we were in the you know we got to the ICU and I was just like okay oh we're just like in disbelief but then it was like well this is what we need this is what we need to get them to get the call we're going to get a match and um, I can remember meeting the the transplant surgeon on the elevator and I'm being like well looks like Tatum, you know, he's rallying. This is great. You know, and again, we're just like hopeful. And he was meant for this earth for the time we had it. Yeah. And for you, it was the most horrible Christmas gift ever. But for him. Yeah, I know. For him. It was amazing. Yeah. Just because he didn't have to be in pain yeah. anymore. And But wow. Yeah. It's just. I know, yeah. I feel for I you how Christmas will be because I know for me, I can't handle, you know, August 15th is like my worst day ever and will continue to be my worst day ever. And so that's going to be hard for you for Christmas. Yeah, I know. Tough. I really, this year, I tried to look at it as all well, the holidays were just a blur. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't sing Christmas cards. We weren't home. Yeah. You know, I did come home that that week of the 9th of December, and so I put the tree up here with Blaine, you know, more for him. Right. It's it's amazing how strong you can be when you have other children. Yeah, um, when you have to be. You know, if it weren't, yeah, if it weren't for that, I you know, probably wouldn't be able to even get out of bed. You know, I have to, have to be here for him, and just, so, I don't know, I just try to hold on to the hope that because we weren't home. Yes. Um, it might make it a little easier, um, but I don't know. Because it You're just right. didn't it's... seem real. I mean, it didn't seem like Christmas, for sure. Uh-uh. No, it really didn't. You know, we're in, like, much like a hotel room. You know, Brian and I couldn't even get out of bed. Blaine's just tearing into gifts, and we're just, you know, staring into the abyss, trying to understand what all just happened. Um, mm-hmm. We had a beautiful service for Tatum. We had a lot of people come out and support us, and it was really a celebration, you know, of his short life. We, uh, one of my favorite songs we found um, on the, just a, I don't even know who sings it. It was like a YouTube video. I think just a, somebody wrote the song. It was called Heaven Needed You More. Mm-hmm. It was just really comforting. So that was, you know, a beautiful moment to, to just kind of, we understand, you know, that's, that's where he's at. And we all felt good about, about him being healthy and no longer, you know, in pain and fighting. And we ended his his funeral with baby shark. <laughs> oh, very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was you. We would play that. We had a little plush that we'd play or we played on the TV and, you know, even in his hardest days where he hardly had any energy, he would still rock back and forth and dance. Oh. Um, and so it was just beautiful. He loved music and, you know, he loved that. And um, yeah, it was just, that was a special moment. And we just, we felt really good about, that you know the way we celebrated his life and you know we uh we had him cremated that's always a difficult decision I want to do and we have you know cremated and I wear him parts of you know part of his ashes and a necklace around my neck mm-hmm. and uh, Sundays you know that gets me through um I think mothers it's hard to leave their their babies you think about you go back to work and when they're young and you know, when they're just young like that, it's kind of hard to be away from them. You're, you're away and you need a break, but you just want to be around them. And so for me, it's just been really comforting to always have them mm-hmm. with me around my neck, close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. yeah. I wear Andy's thumbprint on a necklace right next to my heart as well. And it's very important to me to never take that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's uh been a crazy you know it was a long battle and I know I didn't really talk just kind of talked about what happened but I mean he was um, even though he was so little he was he had such an amazing spirit yeah yeah 
tough little guy. He's huh? I mean, he's, he's, you know, yeah, he smiled so big. He he was always so happy. He loved, you know, to snuggle and to be to be held close. And and then he was kind of that way to begin with. Like his first ultrasound, you know, the picture. He was just all cuddled up, like against me, um, with his hands by his face. And that was just the way he slept, the way he, he laid on, on me and on my husband. Um, he loved to be rocked, and he loved to lay on a float in the pool and just kind of, it was just, he just, we would, we have a pool, um, we go to the local um, country club, and we just would relax with him in the summer when we could um, last summer, and, and just so cute, he would just fall right to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, he just, he went through so much, so many procedures, you know, like anesthesia, so many pokes, you know, yeah. uh, blood draws. Um, he just, he fought so fiercely. Yeah, he did. You all did. So, you all did. So, so, yeah, I think he just, he was here to teach us so much. And, he, you know, he'll continue to, to, to you know, do that. We just, um, through, throughout the journey, um, we created a, you know, triumph for Tatum is is kind of our motto. Um, we were trying to fundraise and get everything we could to get him through the transplant process. And now we've, you know, we're using that to promote um, organ donation. Um, I've already reached out to the, you know, the governor's office. We're going to um, do everything we can to get November 7th um, a national, like, or a, a local donate Iowa day they've done it in other states where it's just like you have a day where you promote organ donation um, and just get as many more people to sign up as you can focusing uh-huh. focusing on children I mean he didn't need a baby but he needed a, um, a liver from probably like a teen um, you know a teenager to a young adult uh-huh. probably around um, up to 150 pounds and they're just there aren't as many of those all you know I, we ended up finding out he did have a few offers at the end but they were elderly people that had been in the ICU for a week mm-hmm. um, and the livers just weren't they weren't quality yeah. um, and so you know we need more donors yeah and that's his birthday November 7th it is mm-hmm. yeah that's what I I thought that was why you picked that day yeah. yeah that would be a nice way to honor him so you said that you felt like he taught you a lot and is teaching a lot. Could you share some of those things that you feel like you've learned from him that you want to share with others? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think ultimately he just taught me not to take life for granted mm-hmm. and that you don't have a plan. It's God's plan. And, you know, just um, he, taught, he taught me how to love. I know my husband. You know, so he struggles with. Um, he loves him with his whole heart, and I think that bond that can sometimes be created with an infant. The mother carries the child, so there's kind of that connection. And then, even you know, baby's born. Um, it can be just a little bit more difficult sometimes for for men. But I think early on, when we realized he was sick, and you know, there were it was not going to be easy. Like I really just I challenged my husband to be there. I know it was hard. Um, he had to take a lot of time off from work he didn't have the type of job that he could work remotely but I just knew how important it was going to be for him to to be there Mm -hmm. um and if we did lose that battle I didn't want him to to regret like not having all that time and sure enough you know on on Christmas when we lost him you know that afternoon he was saying how grateful he was that he was there and that we had all that time and we did. I mean, it, it was like he was sent, you know, for us to to remember, you know, to spend time and to laugh and just to, to be happy and just to find joy in the journey, no matter what that is. And cherish your time together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was, Brian and I have some just completely hilarious stories of being in the hospital and just the silliest stuff. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we'll just we'll just cherish, you know, it's, just, it's a different life and, you know, people you meet and just, you know, shower, you know, there's just one of the funny ones I'll share. There's a shower curtain in our, in one of our rooms and it was half, it was like, instead of a full shower curtain, we got half 
And the nurse was like, well, that's not right. And we were like, well, no, we've been to this hospital several times. We thought that was weird. She's like, well, we'll get you another one. And so then it was like 1030 at night. We're watching some TV. Tatum's fast asleep. And the maintenance guy comes in. He looks in the shower. He's like, well, you have a shower curtain. We were like, yeah. He's like, well, what's wrong? And we're like, well, we don't have a full one. He's like, oh, you're right. And then we're like looking at each other like, what the heck? And then he tripped on the suitcase. (laughs) And it was just, yeah. (laughs) It was just the most random. It's like 1030 at night. We're like, why is he doing it? You know? And we laughed about that for a week. Like it was just, yeah. So I think we just, we learned, you know, I just learned about, you know, spending time and just simple things and, you know, and you just, what you take for granted, I guess, when you have healthy children and when you have, you know, a normal life and yeah, you know, yeah. You know much like right now, I know lots of people are complaining and it's like, oh my gosh, we're, we're stuck inside and this and that. And I'm just like, you know what, I think this is really teaching me to slow down and I'm realizing the things I take for granted and um, I think I'm you know I'm using it more of a time to you know okay when this is all over what do I want life to look like Mm -hmm. yeah I've thought to you know we we learn as grieving people we learn so much about seeing things from different perspectives it's just not the same not everything changes once you go through a profound loss like that and everyone has to learn that now I think to be able to see things from others perspectives and not just from your own and when you're going through really kind of a global pandemic a global event like this it does help you to be able to see other perspectives as well. So you're getting a little bit of Mm -hmm. insight as to what we go through and hopefully living a little less selfishly as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I don't, not grateful um, that he's gone, but I definitely, I just can't even imagine um, what we would be dealing with right now if he would have had the transplant and, trying to keep him healthy Mm -hmm. and away from this. And it was, you know, living in the hospital, it takes some getting used to. There were times in the beginning where I just didn't know if I could do it, you know, anymore, but, you know, I pushed through. And so you definitely, you, if you have no other choice, you you do that. But well, I think the same could be said now, right? The same could be said now. I know now after he's gone, it is hard. Every day is hard to wake up and know that you need to yeah. keep going and need to keep doing it. But like you said, you just do. You just get up and you do what you need to do. You take care of your son. You make dinner. You go to work. You do what you need to do, even when it feels like you can't. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does, I don't know, it's a little easier. Um, It was really hard. I took about a month off. It was really hard going back to work just because of the amount of people that don't even acknowledge you. I mean, they just avoid you. Yes. And that was really hard for me. Yes. I was just like, oh my goodness, I was not expecting this. And so we kind of immersed ourselves right away, like I said, in a grief group um, with a local church because I just was like, okay, any, any resources, I was reading books, um, I found her podcast, it was just like anything to try to give me some perspective so I could continue to take a breath every day, I guess, and, and move forward and, and a sense of what, <laughs> of what you're experiencing is normal, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. to be able to talk yeah. to other people and know that they're feeling the same way. So, so helpful to know that because as you said, people avoid you. I just yeah. was recently interviewed for West Michigan Women Magazine and they asked what's some advice you give for people helping, wanting to help a friend or family member who is grieving. And I, my answer was just show up. You have to show up. Yeah. So you you don't want to mm-hmm. sugarcoat everything and you don't want to ignore it. You just kind of need to be. You need to be there and be available to help. And not necessarily mm-hmm. do something specifically, but to be there. And when people aren't there yeah, and disappear, that's hard. Yeah, I agree. 
And I think it's easy for them to do, even if they try to be there, because I mean, honestly, there's conversations and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I need. So I don't know how to tell you right. how to support me. Like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, some days, you know, some days I wake up and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe nobody's checked on me. Mm-hmm. And then other days I have people checking on me and I'm like, okay, leave me alone. You know, right. No, I don't, I don't. <laughs> You know, and it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge to navigate. Right, because you Um, don't know what you need yourself. You don't. And that's that's another thing, too, when people say, well, call me if you need anything. Well, whatever. We're not calling you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry that you have to kind of guess what I need. But honestly, you have to kind of guess what I need because I don't know what I need. So I'm Um, not going to be able to tell you what I need. Exactly. Yep. I know. Yeah. Because in the changes, you know, day to day. So it is, it is, it is interesting. Um, so yeah. And with the, in the midst of the, you know, I, I thought I was doing okay. And then having to work remotely um, has definitely been a challenge for me just because it kind of has brought me back to the last time I worked remotely, I was in the hospital. He was still here. Um, I could at least, you know, take a break and hold him. I could look at him. So yeah, that I couldn't last week. I was just miserable and I was just so frustrated and grumpy and I just couldn't figure it out. And then it kind of hit me. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, those emotions, like sometimes they're there and you can find them and sometimes you can't. And so that's why it's so hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense that that would happen. And that's, what's so crazy is that things come out of the blue that you would not expect. Like never in a million years did you think that you having to work remotely because of the pandemic would bring back bad memories for you and anxiety for you and make you miss Tatum more. But it has, right? You did not guess that would happen at all. You were thinking probably more about, oh, I've got to try to work from home and do some homeschooling stuff because he's not going to, you know... Mm -hmm. That it's just crazy yeah. how it jumps out at you and attacks grief does when you least expect it and when you don't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree. And this time is just stressful. I know I did a whole episode on that last week when I talked to Gwen just about the stress of having to be a griever in an environment where everyone's anxious. I know for me, it's been a challenge. It continues to be a challenge. I think we're going to start working as physicians every other week in order to limit exposure so that hopefully the whole office would not get exposed, that there would be a team that would be kind of home and healthy and be able to come in. But also, I think for our emotional well-being, because when you're in that kind of stressful environment, even if in a general pediatrics clinic where I'm now for the first time since the University of Iowa, wearing scrubs to work and a mask and a face goggles and gloves <laughs> and a gown. I mean, it's, it's not what I'm used to at all. And it's much more stressful than, you know, normal. <laughs> no, I know. I agree. And I, I don't know. I, I think I think about, I, I can't imagine going into a hospital, <laughs> let alone the one, you know, yeah, we've had nurses reach out and oh, here, ever in town, and you know we had some items to be picked up. And she's like, oh, are you planning a visit? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I can't even imagine st- you know being within ten feet of that place at this point. Like it just, you know, I never thought I would leave without my baby. Yeah, and so I don't know. My mom was was kind of sick for a few days in the hospital um, in February or Mar- February, and I I couldn't go. I, yeah. Hard. Yeah, just too hard, just, just too painful. Triggers. Too many triggers, yeah. You know, that equipment and and also, you know, it's like I walked these halls with him. You know, I went I went to the hospital and he was born there. Like, I did, there's just certain things mm-hmm. um, that are really hard. Mm-hmm. And some of those things will get easier with time and maybe all of them won't. It's okay. Yeah. It's just such a long, long, long journey that you have just started on. And it's a journey that never ends either. That's that's what's, I think, a challenging part of it. I know my grief journey will never be over. I'm never going to get over my grief, right? I will always grieve my son until the day that I die. 
Now that grief will feel different. Now I was um, in that same interview, I was comparing it early on, it feels like I have a huge boulder and I'm just dragging it behind me, just maybe an inch at a time trying to function. And now it still feels like a really heavy rock, but I'm able to pick that rock up and actually walk somewhere. And my hope is, is that someday my grief will be a smaller sized rock that maybe I'll be able to fit in my pocket and that I'll always be able to feel mm -hmm. it kind of poking at me and jabbing me. And sometimes it'll poke hard enough that it makes me cry, but not every day. But anyway, I'd just like to think about that as kind of an analogy, but I'll always be able to have that rock with me. And I'm always going to be able to reach into my pocket and feel that grief and feel that part of Andy that's missing. So I just don't want it to always feel so huge, so heavy and so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I think it will. I think it will. Beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Yeah, somebody asked me, um, if I feel like I'm, I'm healing and I just, I was just shocked. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to be healed. I'm just going to learn how to live without yes. and to, to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we do learn to do that, but it's not a thing that we're going to totally heal from ever. And that's okay. It's okay. And it's good. Yeah. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. And I loved hearing about Tatum. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed sharing it. So. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.